This is Vince McCauley. This is Coach Creon of the Surrey Scorchers. This is Scott Melvin, CEO and co-founder of Buzz16. This is Rodney Glasgow for the Sheffield Sharks. This is Kennedy Leonard from the London Lions. And you're now listening. And you're listening. And you're listening. And you're listening. To the BBL Show. To the BBL Show. To the BBL Show. To the BBL Show. Enjoy the BBL Show. 20 seconds now. Six seconds on the shot clock. Double team. Value backdoor slam! Oh my goodness! Plymouth City Patriots are going to the playoffs, baby! Right there! Pavilions on its feet. No, nothing. All right, PJ, let's keep it simple. Three weeks before the season. No club, no players, no fans, no coach, no nothing. Now in the playoffs. How are you feeling? I'm speechless. I'm speechless. You know, after... You said three weeks prepared, put a team together, you know, after the start we had in you know, the Cup and in the league, and I think we, missed, we lost like 14 games straight. And, uh, you know, but even during that time, we were playing hard. We were setting the, you know, we were setting the base really for a, a good foundation for us to move forward on. And, um, you know, once we could bring in a couple of Americans, you know, it's amazing the achievement what we've done here, not only just on the floor here. I'm, you know, you look at the crowd tonight. I've never seen a crowd like this in the pavilions since I've, since I've been here. And... Um, I don't know, I'm, I'm speechless right now, speechless. Well, you've only got so long to be speechless because Leicester Riders faces us in the first round of the playoffs. You ready for it? Listen, this was our final here today. We know, we know that and uh, you know, we're very realistic about what we can do and we're going to go and we're going to try and push Leicester as hard as we can. Um, but, you know, they're a team who've only lost two games in the league for a reason. And uh, they're a phenomenal team. They've, they've got depth and strength throughout. But, you know, we'll, we'll <laughs> enjoy tonight and uh, we'll get back to training um, tomorrow. And... Hey, we'll, we'll try and put a plan together to sort of uh, give ourselves an opportunity. Perfect. Thank you very much, PJ, and congratulations. Hey, thank you. So, I'm guessing, Mr. Lasker, the Plymouth City Patriots are going to the playoffs. Well, can you tell by that reaction? Plymouth! <laughs> what a feat, though. I mean, you got to let them soak this all up. This is an amazing story. Probably one of the biggest turnarounds that I've witnessed in my 17 years being involved in the league. Just an incredible story. Really happy for everyone down there at the Plymouth City Patriots organization. And I think Paul James might deserve a new five-year deal. Shout out to PJ. Oh, yeah, for sure. Congratulations to everyone. Cole Heslop, big shout out to you. Since Christmas, the turnaround's been amazing on and off the court. Everybody can talk about um, the additions of Antonio Williams and Rashad Hassan, which, of course, were massive. But I just think in terms of a brand, in terms of the the hype, they just got on the wave and um, couldn't be happier for Paul James, who I think has has proved to everyone just why he's one of the best coaches that the the BBL has ever had. He's had to get his mindset straight, and I'm sure he would even admit it was a struggle at the start of the year to think, you know, almost starting again. But he's built another uh, another team another playoffs and like I said this probably goes down in history as one of the biggest turnarounds you know everybody thought that you know maybe they shouldn't have come in the league so soon but congratulations to everyone and shout out to those other guys who set the culture set the tone for those Americans who came in late because we said it all year long they just was out talented so you know those guys consistently went out there competed played hard and it set the table for what was to come, and that is the playoffs, baby. Absolutely. Congratulations, guys. Anyway, this is episode 33 of the BBL Show. I am Jay Marriott. He is Drew Lasker. This week, we are joined by Glasgow Rocks high flyer Jordan Harris. We have a lot 
to cover as the season closes and the playoff chips have landed. But first, it's your social media spy. It's the Marriott Minute. Okay, let's start with our man Stato, Daniel Routledge, pointing out that the Leicester Riders have not taken a timeout since March. Wow. GB interim head coach Mark Stewart is the emerging frontrunner to take the helm at the Newcastle Eagles. Coach Rob Patanostro's testimonial in June has announced three names already with former captains Andrew Sullivan and Tyler Bernardini. And also the return of DeAndre Liggins, the former London Lion, will be there. A great start to what would be an exciting event. Congratulations to the London Lions WBBL team on their unbeaten league run to becoming champions. They have set the standard for all of us now, so we need to follow. And also congrats to friend of the show, Kennedy Leonard, for leaping up to uh, her second 200 assist season. Remarkable stuff. Little chippy, something I noticed in Surrey as a former player. Mondre Rickman poked his head up to take a shot at this season's team, saying they made him look like the problem and pointing out this season's record. Two current players decided to bite back. Let's watch this space and see how the replies go. Mr. Lasker has been a betting man again, and this time with Paul Nicholson of the Plymouth City Patriots. Looks like Paul is going to enjoy a lovely meal at his expense. Obviously, little joy in the Newcastle Eagles camp, but our correspondent, Ramon Fletcher, became the single-season all-time assist leader, beating out the legendary Alton Bird, if you can take yourself back that far. Lots of social media interaction on our pre-season predictions. I don't care who you are, nobody was guessing how this season went, but we take some flack as we should have done an update at Christmas. So we'll learn our lesson right there. And then I finished with the most elite tweet of the weekend from our man, Anthony Rowe, saying, out of all of the BBL players showcasing their talents today, I just need one to have an MVP performance. The BBL player. I need an all-star performance from you today, please. Zero turnovers. As we do know, that sometimes there seems to be some technical hitches with the player itself as you're trying to watch games. And that's this week's Marriott Minute. I'm always watching. <laughs> and our guy, Ant Rowe, that is the tweet of the year for oh, me. Oh, fantastic. He's definitely right. <laughs> yeah, because I just always expecting something to go wrong. But give credit to the app. It was flawless yesterday. And like he mentioned on Twitter, there was some great games all day long. And speaking of games, there was a big one in Plymouth in which – they made it to the playoffs. And yes, I did have a bet with our guy, Paul. So now nah, that's two guys I owe dinner to. I still owe you dinner. Uh, maybe I'll take you guys out together. You down for some weather spoons? I hear they got some nice steaks there, mate. <laughs> I'll go wherever you need to go, bro. I'm not trying to break the pockets. <laughs> it's the end of the month. You know how it is, my man. <laughs> well, just elaborating a little bit on Plymouth because it's been quite amazing. I just wanted to dive a little bit deeper into their numbers just to provide some perspective for fans who might not have been following that closely. But this team started off the season with 16 consecutive losses with the cup competition and league combined. They went zero and eight in the cup and then followed that up by an eight game losing streak in the league in which ironically, they lost their first league game to the Newcastle Eagles and then poetic justice, 
They ended up winning their last game against Newcastle Eagles, which ultimately got them into the playoffs. But they didn't get their first win until January 9th in a trophy win against Wells. But technically, depends on how you look at it, they got their first win a few days prior against Bristol in that exhibition game in which you and I were, you know, we were kind of on the fence about. But, I mean, in retrospect, now we look at it, that was probably the turning point in their season, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like I said, I, you know, I remember the conversation that we were having and then all of a sudden it just, it kickstarted a revolution. You know, that's what it did. You know, it didn't just lead to one win or a couple of wins. It kickstarted to a, a whole revolution where, you know, I think even non-Plymouth City Patriot fans were really getting behind what they were doing. Yeah, and sometimes that's all you need. And that's one thing that we both said is they just needed to experience winning. And it was a close game. It went into overtime, if I remember correctly. And, you know, the Plymouth Pavilions were rocking. And uh, those players, they got that feel-good feeling in their system. And then they added, you know, Rashad Hassan and then Antonio Williams. And the rest is history. And we're only left with one question, and that is where will Plymouth be playing next season? So watch this space, according to Carl. But we're going to change up the lineup a little bit of this show and get right into the Alaska look back. In this episode of the Alaska look back, we take you back a couple days ago, Friday night to be exact, where I sat down with managing director Paul Blake and former Newcastle Eagles head coach Ian McLeod. I'm here with managing director Paul Blake and Newcastle Eagles head coach Ian McLeod. And you made the decision to step down as head coach of the Eagles. What factors ultimately led to the decision? Um, I mean, first off, we're not having a great season. It's been a disappointing season. It's been, um, it's been a very difficult one. Um, you know, I won't shy away from responsibility in that fact. Um, but I think it's the right time for all parties, really. Um, young family on the way for me. Um, and maybe, maybe you know, results-wise, we need a we need a little change of a little change of impetus, and a little change of um, injection into that as well. Um, but yeah, just right time overall, really. Um, I think it was the right, the right thing for us to do moving forward. And Paul, with the team fighting for its playoff lives, some would say that the timing of this announcement is a little bit unusual for British basketball. Why now? Um, I think we just want to uh, set the stall out moving forward for for the start of um, the summer. Um, preparations for next season. Uh, we're going into a new role with Ian as well in, in terms of uh, um, the work with the, that we we do with the foundation uh, and a big project that we've got on, on that side of the fence uh, with um, a benchmark of, of 1,700 young players right now playing in clubs uh, and, a, and a project that wants to take that and extend it further. So, so we just want to get moving. And Ian, I know this was an incredibly difficult decision for yourself as a Geordie and a position that was a dream job. Just kind of elaborate on this new position that you're entering. Well, my goal doesn't change today than it was 20 or 19, 20 years ago. I want to make basketball better in the Northeast and, with, and within the Newcastle club. Um, so, you know, support for upcoming coaches, upcoming players, um, everyone from the kid who wants to step on the floor for the first time to the, you know, the Tosana Umans of the world who want to go out to the States. Everyone needs some support, needs some direction. Um, and I look forward to getting us all pulling in the same direction with a clear path forward. And do you see this role having an impact on the future success of the organization? If I didn't, it wouldn't be as appealing. I think we have to start at the very bottom. 
um, or the very entry level and have a, a consistent Eagles way of doing things all the way through. And I think that's something that makes the project really appealing for me. And Paul, now the t clock is ticking. What does the process of, an, of appointing a new head coach look like, or has that decision already been made? Well, there's, uh, there's been a number of calls made, <laughs> put it that way. Um, and there's been a lot of interest, as there always is. Um, I'm in the same situation when, uh, uh, when Fab you know, decided to fly to Toronto. Um, we, had, we had a lot of, um, lot of people knocking the door. So we're going through a sift, um, and there'll be an announcement made at some point in the near future. It, you know, it can't be too long because we need to get going. We've got some, some things to do. Um, but hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll make that announcement in the next few weeks. And Paul, as you guys hit the reset button, what do you foresee the team looking like in the future? Um, well, I think it's a, um, a reset, clearly. Uh, we're, um, we're in a, the back end of a transition period for the club, which has seen 20 years of success. Um, we want it to be a winning team. It's got to be coach-led, as always. Uh, coach's decision as to who, who the squad's going to be and who the roster's going to be. Uh, but I've, I've got to say, you know, we've got to, we've got to hope that we're, we're back in, uh, at the very least, the top three, which is where I think we should be. Uh, and, um, you know, back on the track to winning trophies. And finally, and still a lot to play for as you guys are playing for the playoffs. What's the mindset of the team coming into tonight? For tonight, probably the most simple it's been in, in quite a few weeks. Uh, we know the, the BBL table is kind of crazy right now, but for us, it's extremely simple. We've got two, two games, win them. Um, okay, we need a little help from Leicester to beat, uh, to beat Plymouth tonight. Um, but we win our two games and we're in. Um, and if we don't do that, you know, then, then we're out. It's quite simple. We're, uh, our destiny's in our hands um, to an extent. Um, so we know what we've got to do. Very simple, really, and just, just looking forward to getting to work, really. Well, three championships in three years. Thank you for your time, gentlemen. Thank you. And that is your Lasker look back. And we transition smoothly. It's time for Hot Takes. And so after 22 years of making the playoffs in which this organization captured 27 titles during that stretch, now the Newcastle Eagles must hit the reset button. It starts with the coaching search, which, you know, we've heard some names thrown out there. Coach Mark Studel, we heard Coach Vince McCauley. We even heard my name. You guys could just throw that in the bin because that's not happening. Um but, you know, a lot has been said about this team, Jay, and, and I just want to reiterate that this season never got started for the Newcastle Eagles. We have to remember they went 1-7 in the Cup. There was eight games played, North and South Division. Newcastle was in the North, and they only picked up one win against the Cheshire Phoenix. They lost the other seven games and never made it out of that round. So, you know, for those that are thinking that this was just recent form and we had said it all year just something wasn't right so you know as they hit the reset but you know I asked Paul during the interview what does he want the future of this organization and team to look like Jay what do you think the Eagles need to do as they begin to move forward Man, difficult question. You know, I, I wouldn't want to be in poor shoes. I mean, uh, ultimately, the, the great news is infrastructurally, you know, they're rock solid. They really are. And, and one thing that you can say about the, the Eagles and you can say about Paul Blake is they don't panic, you know. So 
most organizations maybe would have blown the whole thing up and Coach McLeod wouldn't be a part of the Newcastle Eagles anymore. They, they don't rush into these decisions. Uh, we saw it with the WBBL program as well. They wanted to take their time and get the right person rather than rushing into these things. So, you know, I, I think they have a plan. I think that they know what they're doing. I think the learning curve is, is guys, it, it doesn't matter if you, you know, I, I thought all season that, that Fletcher and Defoe, especially going into that last game, that veteran leadership would be enough to get them over the hump. But if you just even have a few pieces that are slightly off kilter and it's no attack on anybody's person, it's about styles. You know, you have to match styles together as well as building that culture. It just hasn't, worked from day one like any of that stuff just hasn't meshed so where do you go like what does Fletch want to do what does Defoe want to do if you could lock those two pieces in and and go ahead and start again then I think you're in a great place if you have to go from absolute ground zero then it's tough for anyone you know I've I've said before I've I've had to do it in Plymouth I've had to go and recruit a whole new team you know of 12 players like it's impossible for you to get every single one of them bang on right absolute perfect recruitment it's just not going to happen that way so we might have to be in a really strange position with the Newcastle Eagles and we might have to be a little bit patient then on the other hand if they get the right coaching in place and and they know the players that they want to go after this could be them going to the next level so I wouldn't get too disheartened if I was Eagles fans like I said that organization don't press the panic buttons and it wouldn't surprise me if somehow out of all of this mess this year they end up coming back stronger yeah I think the biggest takeaway from my perspective is that of what I've learned is in this new era that we're in tradition means nothing you look at Manchester United you look at the Los Angeles Lakers I just think with this new wave of players history isn't that important anymore you know, I mentioned this before on the show. When I first came in the league, every team had a veteran on the squad that's been around. For me, coming into Plymouth, it was Jamie Burchill. He taught me about all of these organizations like the Chester Jets and all of these other rich, traditionally, squads. And so now I think you don't have that many veterans that's been a lot, been around that long for these teams and these new age players they don't care about that they don't see the Newcastle Eagles on the chest and get intimidated the same with the Leicester Riders they don't get intimidated because they see Riders on the chest they get intimidated by the Riders because they're damn good and I think the lesson is is it's about every year you have to get out there in those streets you have to continue to grind you got to continue to push your brand whereas when I first came to Newcastle and we stepped on the court. We were already up 10, 15 because everyone was just intimidated by the name on the chest, the organization and everything behind it. But now in this new era, you know, times have moved on and it's always about what have you done for me lately? No one cares about what you did last year. No one cares about what you did five years ago. So with that being said, it might be the perfect timing for the Eagles to hit the reset button and just kind of look at everything with a fresh set of eyes and see what is the best way to move forward. But like you mentioned, Jay, with Paul Blake running the show, we know that this is just a retool and they'll be back on top sooner rather than later. But we move the show along to our season predictions. And I was actually looking for that graphic. I couldn't find it in my phone. And all of a sudden I look up on Twitter and, you know, five or six players have posted. And I was like, thank you very much. I've been looking for that. So I had a little nose this morning. And I think it's fair to say, Jay, that our guy, Ant Rowe, won that competition handsomely as he 
predicted the Leicester Riders to win the league, which they did. And then also he picked the Glasgow Rocks to finish seventh, which he did. I didn't get one pick right, and you got the Cheshire pick right. You picked Cheshire. No, actually, you picked Cheshire seventh. They, uh, no, no, you I didn't get one right either. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, <laughs> neither, so what do we know? I mean, you know, that's why I don't like to use the word experts. I like to say educated guests. But yeah. it's good to know that the players are motivated by our predictions. But I must put the asterisk out there and say that we made these picks. You know, when do we make these picks? Oh, like preseason, like going into the cup competitions, I think. We, yeah, so we, we didn't even get there. to see these teams out of the cup. <laughs> and and by the way, for the Plymouth players out there, we made these picks before, as Jay likes to use the word, the Calvary arrives. So <laughs> what's, your, what's, your word, what's your message to the naysayers out there, Jay, that's giving us a hard time? Oh, no, I, I, look, I love it. Like it, it, the, the <laughs> fact that people have been saving those graphics up for another day is is absolutely fantastic and indicative of the fact that people are locking in and they either want to listen to you know our opinions and rate our opinions or they want to prove those opinions wrong. So that's that's what we designed the show for. That's what we want. You know, like I said, nobody's predicting this season that has occurred. Obviously, like you know, Plymouth players. Uh, Plymouth fans, maybe just sit back just a little bit because, you know, it was it, it was a little bit space jam, wasn't it? You know, I'm going to beat you in this game of pickup and then, but actually what we're going to do is we're going to go down the road and pick up better players. But, you know, I, I love that for them. Like I said, you, you got to let them have their moment and, um, you know, they, they did all the foundational pieces. They just needed to add stars and, you know, we talked loads about Antonio Williams, but like, what about Rashad Hassan just rolling back the time, you know, had a difficult time in Surrey. I, I don't know many players that, you know, you perhaps are looking uh, on the slide that then kind of come back in and, and show that why they're a BBL legend. Credit to Sheffield Sharks finishing second. And I know I just get people so riled up with what I say, but the consistency paid off, right? Everybody was so dang erratic and Sheffield Sharks, they're going to hate me for saying it, were classic Sheffield Sharks. They were consistent, they were steady, and they just slowly crept up on everyone. You know, Manchester fell away, London have been cataclysmic. Bristol, fantastic job. You know, literally at the time when we were talking about the, the playoffs, I genuinely thought they knocked on the door just one too many times. I'm, I'm a little bit superstitious and I think you lose a couple games by one enough times, you might have lost that edge. But they've come back and absolutely smashed it. And nobody's predicting Newcastle Eagles don't make the playoffs. I'm still, when I'm looking at the standings here, I'm still dumbfounded that that's actually happened. But hey. It looks incredibly odd, doesn't it? But one thing that stood out to me was I don't think I ever seen so many teams celebrate success outside of winning the league. So, for example, <laughs> it made me chuckle with the Sheffield Sharks, you know, taking a locker room picture saying, hey, we finished second. Which, by the way, it is it is an amazing accomplishment, especially when you think about finishing above the London Lions. That's incredible. And um, also Bristol Flyers celebrating finishing top four for the first time. And then we've seen the locker room celebration by the Plymouth City Patriots, uh, which our guy Anthony Martin chimed in and asked, did they just win the championship? <laughs> and so it made it's me chuckle. It's a different chuckle, era, man. It's a different I mean, era. <laughs> all, this, is, this is what it made me think, that the Leicester Riders are so dang good that everybody is content with just finishing next. I'm saying. Which yep. is incredible. So, yeah, celebrate 
while you can because it's going to take one hell of an effort to take this team down in the playoffs. And as we speaking about playoffs, we got our matchups confirmed. Uh, we got the Manchester Giants versus the fourth place Bristol Flyers. We got the London Lions finishing at third going against the Cheshire Phoenix. And we got the number two seed, the Sheffield Sharks, hosting the Glasgow Rocks. And then finally, we got the champs, Leicester Riders, going at it with the Plymouth City Patriots. So, Jay, out of those four matchups, which games do you feel will be the most competitive out of the four? Oh, I mean, I'm really excited about all of them. But the one that jumps out to me is obviously the the Lions-Cheshire rematch from the final it's going to be interested to see like the psychology of both of those teams going in. You know, if London are motivated by that, if they if they're really kind of aggravated by that situation and aggrieved, then this is going to be a hell of a showdown. And then if Cheshire are, are saying like Larry Austin said last week, if they're saying they got unfinished business, then this could be a really really exciting game. But you you look all the way through the rounds. I, I'm sure everybody's going to think that it's a uh, that it's a foregone cl- conclusion. Like the Leicester Riders playing the Plymouth City Patriots, I wouldn't want that game. Not at this particular time. I think Giants and Bristol would be really really interesting. I think that that's going to be a really even matchup. See what happens there. And then Rock Sharks. You know, like Sharks obviously finishing second. I think there's a lot of pressure on them now. You know, I I, yep. I think this is a this is a potential first round exit that could look they could look pretty silly if if that kind of happens. You know, because the the Rocks have been playing really really good basketball coming into their playoff run, providing they stay healthy. So, yeah, all exciting matchups. But I think Lions and Cheshire. I I, I like that one. I think that's going to be that's got a little bit of uh, spice and history behind it. I totally agree. We got four matchups, entertaining matchups on deck, but I'm going to go with the two and seventh seed. I'm really intrigued with that Glasgow Rocks and Sheffield Sharks for a number of reasons. You got a great offense going up against a great defense. So which style prevails? Usually defense prevails in the playoffs, but we know how well the Rocks play at home and we know how the Sheffield Sharks struggle to score, especially with no Antoine Johnson, and then how healthy is Devontae Wallace after only having three points against Manchester Giants this weekend. So it would not surprise me if Glasgow walked out of that game with the double-digit lead and then Sheffield feeling the pressure at home of having to, you know, to, to, to finish this thing off. So I'm really interested to see how it's going to play off but I will say that the only way that Glasgow will have a chance is if they do have a double digit lead because we know how you know much their play varies on the road and at home so they need to walk out of there with a healthy league and the, and the thing is is that they definitely have the potential plan at a very high level one seven out of their last 10 games and the most important factor is they're playing with house money with absolutely nothing to lose. And you know how it is, Jay, when you can go out there and just shoot from anywhere with no restrictions, with no pressure, all of a sudden it's a little bit easier to score. So the question will be, can the Sharks bring that stifling defense across the border? And if Rocks turn this into a scoring race, can Sheffield keep up? So very, very intriguing. So I'm very much so looking forward to it. But Let's wrap this all up, my guy, with our buy or sell.
first. Let's start off with MVP, man. Who you got? Ooh, MVP. I think that uh, despite there being a number of candidates and worthy candidates, I think I, I could see it being two-time MVP champ, Gino Crandell. I just think that the only thing that holds them back right now is they've been so good that almost everybody's not talking about them anymore because they don't want them in the picture because everyone's fighting for their playoff positions. But he came back for a reason, you know, like it was great for him to be MVP, but I think they were aggrieved at only winning one trophy. They've retooled, great recruitment. But like me and you have both said all year is he has matured. Like he has really matured and he's taken this team to a new level. Any single time that uh, there's something on the line, he's the guy, he's the top dog. So MVP for me is two-time MVP champ, the general. I agree again, my guy. And it, this is really interesting and we'll have to get Dan Routledge's take on this, but if Gino does win the MVP, I would have to assume, and I don't have his numbers in front of me, that this would have to be I don't want to say average or what word to describe it, lowest numbers when it comes to MVP. Because, I mean, if I'm off the top of my head, what is he averaging? 13, 14 points, maybe seven assists. And usually MVP numbers are more eye-popping. So I think this award is going to be more for the basketball purists who are hopefully the coaches because when you all of a sudden put that into per 40, that's when you get to see Geno's numbers, which he leads – across the league when you put we have to remember this guy's playing like 26 minutes a game which is ridiculous mm-hmm. if he was on these other teams when he was playing 34 35 minutes you know what would those numbers look like and then you know one of the most efficient guys in the league and the last time I look he was second in the league and plus minus behind Patrick Whelan so I agree with you he, he's the MVP we always talk about winning as a factor and it doesn't have to be the league champs we've seen many times before where the MVP hasn't come for the league chance. But, I mean, I look down the list, Sheffield, I mean, there's nobody on Sheffield that you could say is the MVP. And then if we go to third, London, well, they underachieve. You can't give anyone on London the MVP if you finish third. And then finally fourth, I mean, Bristol Flyers, I mean, that uh, you, you can't say. So, I mean, mm-hmm. what's your thoughts on Antonio Williams? Because I seen him pipe up yesterday to promote himself as MVP. And if you look at it, Everything that he's brought to this team is the definition of MVP. So what reasons would you say that he wouldn't get it? I think he's in the conversation for sure. The only other two people that I've really watched and thought are at MVP caliber level, you've got Jordan Johnson, uh, the Glasgow Rocks. But again, they just had a a big fall real quick. Mm -hmm. Um, The Antonio Williams situation is really interesting because there's a lot of reasons why. I think I'm still highly against somebody that comes in sort of like halfway through the season. I think that the the body of work then, it, it, we're talking about basketball purists. So like you said, it's going to be coaches and people like us that probably read between the lines a little bit more. And, um, you know, I just think we got to reward excellence. Like they have not put a foot wrong all year and playoffs don't count, right? You know, we saw that kind of controversy last year when we were trying to decide between uh, Gino and Fletch, you know, had it the body of work gone into the playoffs, maybe it would have been slightly different in terms of the outcome. So playoffs don't count. So up until now, Leicester have been absolutely flawless. You know, if there was some sort of honourable mention, then Antonio Williams, I think, is the guy that you'd put in the in the mix. And I agree for the exact reasons that 
it's just something about coming to a team midseason that excludes you from the award. No fault of his because he's fit the bill. And for me, he had his opportunity there. Matched up against Geno, an opportunity to keep the Leicester Riders from celebrating it on your floor. And what I saw was Geno Crandell look like the better player who put up a 25-point near triple-dub on your floor. And that was the first time that I saw Antonio Williams look kind of subdued even though he still had good numbers, but it wasn't explosive numbers. And so that right there sold me and said, okay, yeah, I think this conversation is done. But we can't tell players not to just play for stats and put winning ahead. And then when you have a player that's actually putting winning ahead above stats, we don't reward him. Great so point. Yeah, that's great my point. whole point of giving it to Gino. But what about coach of the year? Yeah, again, this is this is an easy one for me. Like, I, it's got to go to Rob. You know, Coach Rob has, you know, I've probably said it three or four times on this show now. Like, the way that he retooled was just fantastic. You know, the, you look at the players that he lost and you worried, like, would they lose a little bit of a step? Would London be able to now put the foot on the accelerator? And actually, Patrick Whelan, especially, is... is has been an absolute stud. You know, he's, he's another guy that arguably could go into the MVP conversation alongside Gino. He's been doing some great stuff. You know, you add in Kimball, you add in Adequoia. I mean, it's ridiculous to think that Connor Washington at times was the third string point guard out on the floor sometimes. I mean, that's depth. You got Mo Walker coming off the bench, who's, who's arguably another guy at Worcester was an MVP candidate and, and accepting his role. So I just marvel every time, you know, I, I see Coach Rob or get to speak to Coach Rob. I think he's he's just growing as a coach every single time. Hall of Famer for sure. Maybe one of the best. He will be in the conversation for that at least. And then again, if there was an honourable mention, it would probably go to Paul James. I have to say, like, Atiba's done a fantastic job. And like I said, people think I'm slighting him, but... Having consistency in this turbulent business is a real testament to to a coach. But my second, you know, the very, very close second would be Paul James. You know, to think you're going into Europe and you're tooling up with players like Ashley Hamilton and everything and to have that completely pulled away from you. And at times maybe thinking that you don't have a job and then you've got to come in and build with some young, hungry players you know what that's like, Drew. You know, like when you're going to have to come into the team, he needs all his energy, you know, and he's an older coach that would have would have wanted that next progression. But here he is working with a, a scrappy group of guys, having to wait for Carl to get all the pieces aligned so that they could maybe bring some real talent alongside those uh, those young guns. So he'd, he'd definitely be a close second for me, but you cannot, you know, not pick Coach Rob. Yeah, and in the past, we have looked beyond excellence and just assumed that that is supposed to be the standard. And I use Fab Florinoy as an example when we won all four in 2014-15 season when Coach Andreas won the award and they finished like sixth. And I'm like, we won all four. Like, how does this guy not win mm. the coach of the year? So it, it was baffling to me and still baffling now. But you're right. It's Rob. Without a shadow of a doubt, I disagree with you for runner-up. For me, it's Atiba. Like I mentioned on the last episode, he would win a GM of the year award if we had such a thing. But to finish above London, for me, any team that finishes above London is just an amazing, amazing story because I know without a shadow of a doubt, Sheffield's budget is probably three times 
smaller than London. So it would be Atiba runner up for me. Third place would be Paul James. And then fourth would be Andreas. And for the fact, again, giving Paul James some shout, I, I went my first two years at Gateshead College and we won one game. It is very difficult to remain motivated when you don't win. And PJ went half a year without winning, but still was motivated to coach those guys up and it paid dividends later. So it definitely deserved those plaudits. But yeah, man, it's been an exciting year and I'm ready for some playoff basketball. Let's go. Ready for the playoffs. And saying that, just before the playoffs, let's finish with our final player of the week before those games take place. It's time for the BBL Show Player of the Week. Our picks are Cheshire Phoenix's name on right, the scorer himself, putting up 33 points, one rebound and five assists for a 33 index. Plymouth City Patriots veteran Rashad Hassan said, don't forget me with a 25 points and 12 rebounds for a 32 index. And then London Lions' Isaiah Reese comes back to the table. Nice to see him in the mix. A 26 points, three rebounds and seven assists for a 33 index. Exciting weekend overall. Playoffs are set. All that's left is for us to get the man in the room. Glasgow Rocks, high flyer. Jordan Harris. Jordan, welcome to the show. Thanks for your time, my friend. Yes, sir. How you guys doing? Very well, very oh, well. Good, man. Mr. High Flyer, welcome to the BBL show. I appreciate you guys for having me. That is right. So, yes, Mr. High Flyer himself, we've, we talk about you quite a bit and uh, obviously a nice introduction previously. Just want to get your thoughts on how have you found the season so far? Let's start there. Um. This season been kind of weird, you know, um, a lot of ups and downs, you know, losing Ellie Frazier was a big was a big loss for us. So it was just a season where we just had to find our way the whole year. We just had to find new ways to win. And um, I think that was like that was a challenge this year, just finding new ways to win. It's been kind of it's been good though overall. And speaking of Ali Frazier, we thought that you guys was dead in the water when the news broke. Karen Achar, the Glasgow Rocks super fan, came on television and said the Rocks were not making the playoffs. And then all of a sudden, you guys go and win 7 out of 10. So in that stretch, I asked Jordan this Friday on Sky, but from your perspective, what's been the difference? It really, I think everything changed after the London game. Um, winning there, the copper box just gave us a lot of confidence, you know, um, once we won that game, that we just feel like we can compete and play with anybody. So the next steps was just executing and make sure we go out there and handle business and everybody just stepping up and playing their role very well and with a lot of confidence. And I think confidence has been key for us. For the fans listening who kind of maybe haven't been in that situation or haven't had that opportunity to be a part of a team, obviously, you know, you guys would have known yourself what a big loss that is to, right. to be losing Ali Fraser. How do you guys deal with that? How do you guys talk about it? How do you decompartmentalize the situation and, and move and move forward? You know, because like I said, a lot of people looking on the outside go, oh, you know, dead in the water. But how do you right. guys pull yourselves together? I mean, as you can see, when he went down, we started, you know, teams was games that we usually win. We was, we'll lose, you know, um, everything. He just he was involved in so much. And, you know, a lot of our offense was around him. He's a great passer. Like he's a, he does so much for us. So losing him it was just like wow like 
that's a lot. You know, that ain't like, you know, a guy that just spot up shoot threes going down. This is a guy that do it does a lot, you know. So it was just a lot um, to lose. And we knew that other guys just got to step up and do a lot of the other things, you know. I knew when he went down, I knew I had to step my rebounding up, you know. Um, I had to step my decision making up. Um, a lot of little things. So I think once everybody just found their role, because it was just like finding a new role, I had to do more than I usually would have to do with Ali Frazier on the court. So once everybody just figured out, like, I got to do a little bit more, I got to do a little bit more, I think that's what really, you know, got us together and got us that confidence that we needed. Was this something that was just internalized from every individual, or did you guys speak about this? Because Ali Frazier was what I would call as your safety blanket, someone you can throw the ball to if, you know, you're struggling offensively, but – Jordan Johnson all of a sudden just got super aggressive and just went on a scoring run. So did he say that I'm going to step up my scoring or did he just do it and you guys followed his lead? Um, he didn't necessarily say he'll step up his scoring, but he said he was going to step up his play. And he told me I got to step up my play. And a lot of other guys, you know, that he just – I feel like he just put his um, his foot on the gas and shots been falling. Um, he's been playing well, man. I mean, he 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 been – He's been playing very well. He's been carried us a lot of games. Um, he does a lot as well. You know, he played a whole game. He he does a lot for us, but he definitely stepped his play up. And I think once we started losing a couple games, he was like, nah, like, I got to I gotta get right. I got to step it up a little bit. And that's exactly what happened. And he hit me up like, hey, you got to step it up a little bit. We lost. We lost. That, that was a lot. We lost a lot. So just knowing we lost him, he knew that he had to step it up. And he also told a few others other guys on the team that, you know, it's time to step it up. You got to do more. Just to rewind a little bit. So obviously looking at recruiting you to come to the Glasgow Rock, we saw a name that uh, many fans will remember in Christian Keelan. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was said that he played a pretty big role in, in, in you making a decision to come to Glasgow. What, what was it that he kind of said to you in particular that really sold this being the project that you would take on this season? He was just telling me how, how nice the city was first. Um, then he just told me, like, he told me about Coach Gareth and, you know, Johnny Bunyan, um, Fraz, and um, all the guys. He just told me, like, it's just a good group to be around. That's where you want to start your career at if you can. But more importantly, it's a great opportunity there for you. So he just gave me that type of advice. I took it in perspective, did my research, and um, I mean, it was easy for me. It was easy for me to make that decision from there. Talked to Coach. Um, when I, once I talked to G, got on the phone with him face-to-face, I knew I was coming here. And tell us about the city, man. What do you like about Glasgow? I know that your teammate like the yum-yums out there, but, you know, you from Georgia, I'm from Texas, so we, you know, we like a little bit of warm weather, but we know it gets cold in Glasgow during the winter. You only get about three, four hours of daylight. So what you like about the city and how did you handle those dark winters? I'm cool. I mean, I, I personally, like, I, I came here darker than what I am now. You know, so I done got, like, my skin, I got a little bit lighter, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was cool with it, but the weather the weather is icky, you know. Um, it rains a lot. It's cold. But um, it's also it's pretty day. Like right now, this last week or so, it's been hot. It's been too hot for me. So uh, uh, it's been beautiful wow. lately, but but surprisingly, like, the weather. Uh, but like I said, Christian also mentioned that before coming here. So kind of had a heads up on that as well. You were you were ready, that's for sure. So, obviously, <laughs> like it's it, it all focus now is on the playoffs. 
Mm-hmm. And we were just talking there before we brought you on to the show. We were talking about what, which playoff matchups we were really looking forward to. And I actually picked Lions and Cheshire just because of the, the, uh, the trophy final not too long ago. But Drew was really, really excited about your guys' matchup with Sheffield Sharks. What's been said early doors, obviously, now that you know where the chips lie and you know who you're playing, like, has, has anyone within the team or has, has Coach Gareth, like, you know, started pinpointing anything in particular or is he just going to save it for when you get together and practice? Well, we already had a practice today already. And, um, you know, we just, um, he just basically just told us, shift our focus on Sheffield, figure out how we're going to score, figure out how we're going to stop him. And that's where our focus is at this week right here. And that's, a, you know, that's the battle that we're fighting right now. So we haven't really got too in detail, but right now, we just um, really, really just focus on that matchup and that just taking one game at a time. What do you think the key is going to be to winning that first round matchup? We play home first. So I think just really just getting comfortable here at the home, um, at our home court and, and, and getting a solid win. You know, obviously we want a big margin on the win, but I think most important is just take it one game at a time and just win the game more importantly. You know, I think that's where we kind of slipped up at in the trophy. You know, we started playing a number game, and that's cool because you have to play that number game when it's a two-leg thing like that. But just win the game. Our focus should be win the game, you know. And the, the points won't even matter if you win the game. If you win both games, the points won't matter. So my mindset, personally, is to let's just go win both of them. That's perfect because that's advice I gave. I can't remember who was on here earlier, and they were going into that two-legged game and – I, I can't even remember who it was, but that was my advice to them is basically don't play the number of games. If you win both by one, you get through. So maybe that's I, – th- I think the cup and the trophy debacle from you guys will help you guys in the playoffs because you will know now that you got to play all 40 minutes, and that wasn't the case in that trophy game. You guys could have easily won that game by 25, and Larry Austin you know, finished off the last two minutes and, and kept Cheshire within striking distance. But let's put your coaching hat on. So we got one of the best offenses going against the best defenses. Do you think that you guys – can win by outscoring them because we know that the Sharks struggle to score and then without their leading scorer, Antoine Johnson, or do you think you guys are going to have to figure out a way to get stops and play defense in order to make it to the next round? First off, I want to uh, send my condolences to Antoine Johnson. He, he from around the way, he from, from like my area. So wish right. him a speedy recovery, man. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be a defensive showdown, you know, I think it's going to be okay. a great – it's that great grind type of game versus Sheffield Sharks. They're the – they defenses, you know, they, they really lock in defensively. Like you said, they're a low-scoring team. They want to keep it low-scoring and just out-physical out you, out-grit you. But I think it's going to be a defensive matchup, offense, you know. It's going to be definitely more on the defense and rebounding, free throws type game. Well, we know that your coach will be happy because during the post-game interview with Sky on Friday, he he, he kind of chuckled at my question by saying, well, I thought we was going to come in here and play some defense. So uh, I'm pretty sure that'll make Coach G happy. Yeah, for sure, man. We didn't play no defense last game. <laughs> well, that's it's playoff basketball right now. So the, the, the switch, switch is over. And what I'm really looking forward to as well is I think that this is where coaches can have the biggest effect is actually in the playoffs, like where you right. can start to really, really lock into this this team. You know what you've got to do. You know, the, you, your preparation can be, you know, almost as elite as it can be during the season because I know those games can come thick and fast. Just kind of working it all the way back. Are we we right in seeing that you, you played with Anthony Edwards? Mm-hmm. 
What was that like? Just describe that for the fan base. Obviously, he's in the playoffs right now, playing for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Right. You know, known as a generational talent. What, what was he like to have as a teammate? Well, he was uh, he was fresh out of high school when he came, when I met him. So he was like 17, 18 years old when I met him. You know, he came on campus and a lot of things stand out. But for one, his work ethic, um, he stayed in the gym. He didn't, he don't get distracted. You know, um, and that's very like, that's very hard. It's very hard nowadays for a 17 year old, 18 year old, come on a big campus and do that. You know, um, I even fought myself sometimes, like, especially early in my college years, like, it's just like, uh, feel like I got to be places and do things, but he didn't do that. So, and talent level, next level talent, he's a, man, he's a, he's a specimen, man. Like he's, he's different. He's different. We all we all knew like everything he do on TV. Everybody be like, "Whoa!" But like, he at practice. Like he literally at practice. He loved the game, you know. So um, it was it was very it was very fortunate for me to play with a young talent like that. But also generational talent, man. He's the next one. He's the next big thing for sure. For sure. That was my matchup every day. So like, I was able to get my defense right. You know, like. I was able to also get my because he can play defense as well. So that was he helped me out just as much as I feel like I helped him out. I always respect like scouts that can look at a kid at like 14 years old and say he's going to be this or be that. Because, I mean, I wouldn't say that's one of my skills. Did you know from the very beginning that he was an NBA player? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's a weird story, but OK, like once I left high school. I stopped watching high school basketball. I don't know why, but it was like, okay, college basketball, it's a lot of scouting. It's a lot of attention to detail, a lot of hard work. So I ain't really put my attention too far back in high school. So I think I seen him on my sport page on Instagram before, but I didn't really know who he was until he came on campus, right? He came for a visit. And um, I remember shaking his hand and he told me his name. Still didn't think none of it. Until the day he committed, when he committed, like the Bleacher Report, everybody, my phone going crazy. It's like the number one player. In the, I'm like, oh, I didn't know he was the number one player. Like, I didn't know that he was a number one player coming out of high school. I just thought he was a five-star recruit, maybe like, you know, 30, 30th player of the nation, maybe 40 player, which is outstanding. But I didn't know he was the number one player. And I was like, and we just came off a losing season. My coaches, they was walking around like mad and stuff, or real, real aggressive and stuff. But the day he committed, I remember practice was like 30 minutes that day. We had a light practice. <laughs> we had like food after practice. It was crazy. But that's when I knew, though, the day he committed. That's when I knew he was special. And then, obviously, the first time he stepped on the court with me at practice. And you could just see it. You could see it. A blind man could see that. Man, I love that. that. That's that. That's great for the fans, I think, especially with the NBA playoffs on. But obviously, uh, for you yourself, if we we go back to focusing on you, like um, you sat out a year, right? Mm-hmm. Um, was that kind of a, a forced decision, or did you have some options that you didn't like, or what? What was it like having to sit out that year? Because it, it can be really, really tough. Like Drew can attest it as well. Like through through his season, there's a couple times where you know I don't want to use the word risks, but he decided to sit out to to get his worth. And, right. um, you know, I, I think that can be like a really nervous place to be. Like I was very lucky in, in my 10 years playing that things were kind of sorted out 
pretty much like as the season ended. So I didn't really have to have those stresses. So what was it, what was it like sitting out for that year? Was it planned or did you just have to be patient? It was not planned. Um, it definitely wasn't planned. I never missed a year since I started playing as a kid. I never missed a year playing basketball. I never sat out a year. So it was hard. It was the first time in my life where I had to, not, like, I'm not hurt. I'm just, I'm sitting out because of the situation. But I had a couple of interviews for so a couple of NBA teams. And so I was kind of banking on a lot of those things, a lot of workouts and stuff. And um, came down to the, I think, the, the G League draft. Once I didn't hear my name called, that's when I shift my focus and um to to Europe. And by that time when I shift my focus to Europe or um other places, the deals I was receiving, I was just ain't see like it was worth my health, my my time. Uh, it just didn't make sense as far as like, you know, just because a deal that don't mean it's the best deal. And all business not good business. And that's how I kinda looked at some of those deals and I just stayed patient and um just waited out but I also like worked my butt off during that time and it was probably one of the toughest moments of my life actually sent out last year though I would say that yeah man it happened to me I I'm 2010 I sat out for a whole season and it's different when you're sitting out because of an injury but when you're sitting out just because of circumstances it is a very very dark place and I guarantee you there will be somebody in a British basketball league that won't have a job next year so what advice would you give that player who might be in your similar situation? Like, how do you get through that? Um, I think just making sure your mental all the way right. Um, knowing that your situation will always be worse. And knowing that sometimes when a door closed, that could be a good thing. You know, might just be opportunity to check your faith, check your, you know, your endurance and what you believe in. And um, a, another door can open right up for you. And I think um, just stand down, stand true to yourself and stand true to the game. Because if you love the game, then you'll give it all you got. It don't got to really pay you or feed you, but that's what you really work for and stuff. So, like, I think if you love the game, it'll give you everything back. Um, don't give up. I'll just tell them to stay, stay in the gym, stay in shape. But really, really emphasize, really emphasize them, you know, mental healthy because – it's, it can be dark. It can be. It could be a dark place, man. It make you. It make you just want to say, I'm gonna go, just grab me a little job somewhere. I don't want to play basketball no more. No more. Like, it can put you in a lot of dark places, man. So I just say, just stay sharp on your mental. Most importantly. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because we had J.C. Hillsman on the show in the summer before he went to Glasgow, and I think Jay asked him how he was getting ready for the season, and he was like. I'm working on my mental because if I'm not mentally right, then it doesn't matter about the physical. So it's just great to hear. And we're pretty open on this show about in this day and age of how guys are so open about mental health. And that wasn't the case during Jay and I time. Like you had to hide that if you were going through something. But just finally for me, obviously you heard about the BBO through Christian Keelan. What's your thoughts on the league? Is it is it better than what you imagine? Is it worse? Or what's your just overall view on the BBO? Um, I like the BBO. I mean, I'm grateful to be here and actually start my career here. I feel like it's probably like a good place for me personally to start my career. Um, I don't really have nothing bad to say about the league. Um, it's been good. It's been good so far to me. To me, I like it. It's cool. It's my type of style of play as well. So, I mean, I'm, I benefit from it being here. So, I like it. 
there's only really one last question to ask, and that is how far can the Glasgow Rocks go in these playoffs? Ooh. I think we can go as far as we want to, man. Um, as far as we want. I think um, it's all about who's playing well right now. You know, it's a whole new season, man. So just I think we just got to go in with that mindset. Like, we all 0-0. Zero, zero. I average zero points. Like, uh, it's a new season, man. And just got to go in the mindset one game at a time, win this game, win, win the next game. You know, that mentality, I think we can go as far as, you know, we, we want to, honestly. Man. And if you guys are locked in defensively like you said you are, and you add that to that potent offense, I can see you guys shocking some people. But if you play like you did Friday, you're going to be here next week beside <laughs> us, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, let, let, sure. let's end on a high anyway. Like, good luck, Jordan. We, we really appreciate your time today here on the show. Like, good luck for the playoffs. I'm sure we'll catch up later on uh, in the year. We hope to see you at the finals for all the right reasons. I don't want you sat next to me. I want to see you on the court. But uh, thanks again, man. We appreciate it. I appreciate you guys for having me, man. Appreciate your time, man. Good luck to you, my man. Appreciate you. All right, Mr. Lasker, another episode in the bag. We had a lot to talk about right there, and it was great to uh, catch up with Jordan and um, see how things are up there in Glasgow. They have high, high hopes. I'm excited for these playoffs. I think every single one of these matchups are going to be absolute fire. But guys, we're, we're closing in. This, this is playoff time now. Even we've got to up our game. So guys, keep tuning in. Every week, we're always here. Drew, over to you. Yeah, another great guest. I'm just really proud of the players and everyone surrounded around this league. We got so many guys that's just humble, good dude, well-spoken. You know, the league is in a great place when you talk about character. You don't see any of our guys out there in the media getting in trouble doing stupid stuff. So um, really proud to be a part of the BBO. And again, like Jay said, the playoffs are ramping up. We'll get those weekly predictions out this week. And Jay's going to have to go out on a limb because he got some chasing to do. But, uh, you know, we'll be here to report it all. Same place, same time here on the show. The show. Thanks for listening to the BBO show. The BBO show is a 21 media original podcast produced by Corey Mallory with your host, Jay Marriott and Drew Lasker. Keep up to date with the show by following the BBO on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, where you can find details on future episodes, events, and fan interaction. Until next time.